1: This is an Irish independent podcast. Today on the Indo-Daily. Noel Kelly, Ryan Tuberty and Dee Forbes. Who are the key figures in the RTE payment saga? Putin wouldn't get away with some of the tricks that you got away with. You must take the public for complete patsies and fools. The scandal engulfing RTE continues...
0: Did anyone in the board flag that actually maybe there would be some public scrutiny and that having the DG still in situ to answer questions would be a good idea? Did anyone think of that?
1: Despite top brass in RTE appearing before two Oireachtas committee hearings, three of the main players have been notably absent from proceedings. But there are other people who could shine light on this, and they include Ryan Tuberty, they include his agent, uh, they include D. Forbes, and I still think that uh, they should be willing to come before the committee, um, answer questions, they will be tra- treated fairly, uh, and I think that would be the right thing to do from their part. I'm Tabitha Monaghan on today's episode of the Indo-Daily. I'm joined by Melanie Finn, entertainment correspondent for The Irish Independent, and Kirsty Blake-Knox, journalist with The Irish Independent, to profile the key figures in the RTE payment scandal. Mel, there's three people that have really come to the fore during this RTE payment scandal. There's Dee Forbes, who's the former director general, Noel Kelly, who's agent of the stars and Ryan Tuberty's agent, and then Ryan Tuberty himself. But what do we know about Dee Forbes? Can you take us through the early days of her career prior to RTE?
2: She's, um, she's originally from West Cork and um, she grew up in a real rural tradition. You know, she would have worked in her parents' bar, East End, and then she moved to Dublin to study history and politics at UCD. She left college and then flew over to London. And she worked in advertising there and she previously likened it to the hit series, Mad Men. You know, you work hard, you play hard. And she seemed to really relish that role. But then she decided to get into the TV end of things and she worked at Turner Broadcasting for 13 years, I think from 1995 to 2009. And this is um, a company that would have had seven entertainment channels in the UK and Ireland, like Cartoon Network and Boomerang. So she spent a few years working there before she became head manager for the Nordic Central and East Europe, as well as head of sales for Europe. She worked for Discovery, which, of course, is a huge company in Europe. And she was there for six years commuting in, in London back and forth to her home in Glandorre in Cork. So I I imagine the the fact that she could move back home was a huge bonus for her when it came to considering the role of RTE. So she would have joined in July 2016. So she came to RTE and she had this huge proven background in commercial basically. So from the private commercial sector and she would have taken over from Noel Curran. And when she first got there, people were delighted. She was hailed as a breath of fresh air.
1: Do you think that that background in marketing and advertising was a big reason why she would have got the job in RTE? I mean, at the time, they would have been going through the financial woes. I think it was a huge
2: part of the reason why she got the job because she was the first person outside of RTE in around 50 years who had landed the role of DG. And she was also the first woman. So it was at a time where people really feel like the organization need to be freshened up. It was kind of likened to an old boys network. And they were passing over the baton from one man in suits to another man in suits. And this was kind of endemic in the organization. And it wasn't seen as very fresh. It didn't have to be either. It was a public service broadcaster. It had no competitors. It had been doing what it had been doing for decades. So it didn't really need to invigorate itself too much. By about 2016, though people were starting to get an inkling that they were coming into financial difficulties. Advertising revenue wasn't what it was. Ireland had just been through one of the worst recession in recent years. We were coming out the other end of this, but things were still lagging, particularly in traditional media like TV and radio. And plus, Orchie's operation costs, especially back then, would have been absolutely huge. So she would have had a mammoth, Task ahead of her, but she came into it like a breath of fresh air, and people really looked to her like the new messiah you know, the person who would reinvent the organization, who would sort it out. And the fact that she came from the private commercial sector really stood in her favor because they felt like she was bringing all that international experience and expertise to an organization that was essentially very insular. And she's also from Ireland, which is a huge bonus because, well, no one knows the Irish audience in the Irish market like our own.
1: And who could have foreseen what lay ahead for her? Kirsty, what do you think about her background and what she brought to the DG job? Yeah, I mean, she had a, a lot of experience, like Mal
0: said, in the commercial sector. But there's some things that you kind of wonder why there wasn't little warnings. While she worked in media, she hadn't worked in Irish media. She, her experience was in London, she also had never worked in public service broadcasting. And while she worked in Discovery and places like that, it was in a sales capacity and she doesn't appear to have had huge amount of experience at programme making. And as the director general of Ireland's public service broadcaster, you would think that you would need some of those. Like it seems a bit, it, it seems like
1: now retrospectively you're kind of like maybe they should have kind of looked at that a little bit. And a a question for you both, I'll ask Mel first, what do you think Dee's legacy is going to be?
2: She's going to be remembered as the DG who presided over the biggest financial ferrari that Ortiz ever found itself in. Um, It's not a legacy anyone would want. It's not a legacy she would certainly want. And also she was the DG who was there when Ryan Chubbity was taken off the air which is something no one could ever have foreseen and RTE now is in a worse state than it has ever been in its entire history and who knows what's next for the organisation it's a very very poor track record um, for anyone and there's still so many questions to be asked and the fact that due to ill health she wasn't able to go before those oroctus committee meetings, I think is a, is a real shame. As I said in my piece, Tabitha, earlier this week, it's like Hamlet without the Prince. But that's not to say that she can't at some stage when she is in better health go before those oroctus committee meetings. I think that's the least she could do um, for her, her own remuneration package that she would have taken over the course of her time with RTE. I think... You know, when she feels better, I think she owes it to the public and indeed the Broadcasting Commission that saw her, saw it fit to put her there in the first place. These questions to be answered, I think she needs to answer them at some stage.
1: And Kirsty, what do you think beyond this scandal? Can we remember Dee Forbes for anything else and anything that she did as her in her role as Director General? This is the biggest
0: crisis in the station's history. It's going to overshadow absolutely everything she's done in the last seven years. As a result of what's happened, the license fee discussions about changing it have now been completely taken off the table. The financial implication that's going to have for RTE is going to be for years.
1: But Mel, this wasn't the only controversy that D Forbes has had to deal with as Director General.
2: Yeah, like three years into her reign. There was a huge, huge controversy over a number of very high-profile RTE staff who were photographed at a retirement party that took place in RTE. And it was the middle of the lockdown during the COVID crisis and social distancing rules appear to have gone completely out the window. And there was a number of very, very high-profile people there that we know kind of household names who attended the gathering. It was effectively a retirement party for one of the staff members and photographs emerged in the media of them all. An internal health and safety review into a retirement gathering at RTE has found five breaches in relation to COVID-19 advice, protocols and regulations. The broadcaster's Director General D Forbes apologised for the breaches, saying it was hugely regrettable and disappointing that they happened.
1: Personally, as Director General, I am really sorry that this happened. The purpose of our review was to look at um, the health and safety side of this and what, if any, protocols were breached. There is a separate inquiry um, now beginning um, with the Gardaí and they are looking at how this came to be in the first instance. But in addition to that
2: particular incident during COVID, There was also stories emerging of the financial crisis that RTE had found itself in. There was deficits, huge deficits, you know, starting to be reported. And they were also going to RTE at this time with their begging bowl, looking for more money, you know, saying that they were starting to implement cost cutting measures. D
1: Forbes also said discussion on an increase in the licence fee is ongoing. First of all, it's nonsense to say that I would encourage it to be doubled. That's not the case. What I'm saying is I think we provide incredible value for the 25 services that we um, that we produce. And if we had more money, we would provide incremental value. So there's D Forbes, who is one of the people involved in this. But one of the lesser known individuals to the public anyway maybe in the entertainment world he was far more well known is Noel Kelly superstar agent can you tell me a little bit about his background Kirsty
0: yeah absolutely so Noel started out um, in sales um, he worked for Capri's and he his background is sales and marketing and then he had set up his own agency called uh, CMS Marketing and he kind of recognised that there was a gap in the market for in terms of star representation or Irish celebrity representation so he started to take on really high-profile stars um, that worked in RTE, matching them up with brands and coordinating like deals with them. And eventually, he like got this stable of stars that was basically like everyone in the Irish media scene: Claire Byrne, Pat Kenny, uh, before the late Jerry Ryan. Then you obviously have Ryan Tuberty, and he. Kind of had this reputation of being extremely loyal to his um, to the the people he represented, but also being really tough negotiator and was really able to get the best deals for his uh, his talent. And there's quotes from people who are represented by him comparing him to a, a, a Rockefeller or kind of Godfather. Ryan Tuberty said he was like a, a little mafia man um, in a previous interview. So kind of like built up this stable of talent and became extremely influential in Ireland's entertainment and uh, media scene.
1: And he's been around for a long time. He's been around over 20 years. And in that article that we mentioned, it's back in 2008 with the Sunday Independent. And I want to really quote that Dave Fanning, who's one of his clients still now as well, former 2FM presenter, he said, even I look at the client list and go, holy shit.
2: It's because he is known as the money man. So... If you wanted a big money deal, you would send Noel Kelly in to negotiate. He he is the man who gets you the most money for your talents, for your services. He will go in there. He's known as a very tough negotiator and he's built up that reputation for doing that. And you send him in, you will get the best deal and he will walk away with as much as he can for his clients. And that's why he is such a big, client base. He's selective about who he takes
0: on. He can afford to be, you know. Um, and he also was very good at spotting talent, nurturing that talent, and then as Mel said, getting the most money for that talent as possible or that star as possible.
1: How much power and control does he have then, especially in Orti? It is ridiculous that a situation was set up that the vast majority
0: of Orti talent is represented by one agent. For example, with the, the late late show when when Ryan went for it, that was Jerry Ryan and Ryan Tupperty, both clients of Noel Kelly competing for the same gig. So he did and as Mel said he had this reputation and he was a very tough negotiator. So he, he did possess a lot of a lot of power.
1: Mel, what is the attitude or the opinion within Ortiz, within Montrose of Noel Kelly? Is it a case of you just have to get on with it? He, he represents all these talent To a
2: certain extent, yes. Um, but I think it's interesting the fact that when they were looking to replace Ryan Tupperdee on The Late Late Show, all the names that were thrown out there into the media were also clients of Noel Kelly. Now, some of them would have been the perfect fit for it, the job, but others completely not. And yet we were bombarded nearly daily by all these names. And they also happened to be clients of Noel Kelly. But I have certainly been told in recent weeks, before the scandal even broke from a very, very good source in RTE, that they have in recent times been trying to distance themselves um, from Noel Kelly and from the huge power that he exerts in RTE and the power that he wields. And it's not good for any public service broadcaster to have all of its talent being fed to it from the one agency. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's competitive. And I don't think it's good for the overall organization for one man or one agency to have a monopoly on who we are listening to on the radio and who we are seeing on the TV. And in many instances on RTE, they were on TV and on radio at the same time. So I don't think that's a good situation for any any organisation, especially in a country as small as Ireland.
1: Well, let's talk about Ryan Tubridy himself. Mm. How did he get to the position that he was in just before he left the Late Late Show? He had a massive radio gig and the biggest flagship RTE show. How did what was his rise like through RTE? He began his career in
0: RTE as a runner on the Jerry Ryan radio show, and he kind of. Built up experience uh, from there and worked his way into uh, radio and started out on like the the full Irish uh, was was his radio show, and from there he started to segue into television. He did uh, the Rose of and um, built up his television experience, and then he got Tubertie Tonight. And then when uh, Pat Kenny was stepping down as, uh, as host of The Late Late, he obviously was given that gig, which is like the biggest gig in, in Irish broadcasting.
1: And there is a great clip of a young Ryan Tuberty going around when he was doing a book report, I think, on yeah. RTE. And he was, he, even then you could see he had it in him to be a fantastic broadcaster.
0: Yeah, and like he's like you said, he did as a teenager. He popped up doing movie reviews or or book reviews, um, and he was very very confident and comfortable uh, broadcasting from a from a very very young age. Yeah,
1: I'm joined by Ryan Tuberty here in studio. Uh, Ryan, welcome. Who who are these books for? Well, I've read the four books over the last week, and I've come to the conclusion that there are now three distinct. You 2 fans. There's the class A fan. This is the um, casual fan. Likes a bit of music now and then and really isn't that interested in them. Then you've got the nouveau fan. The post Joshua Tree will buy Rattle and Hum and would like a post or something, but not terribly into them. And then you've got the obsessive fan who must have any- we'll buy anything. Anything. Okay. Well, let's take- and what do we know about himself outside of RTE and his background?
0: Well, he's, he's himself said he comes from a very privileged background. Um, he grew up in South Dublin, went to Blackrock College. His family are like he comes from steeped in Finnafall, uh background. His grandparents, uh, grandfather's Todd Andrews. So he comes from an affluent, well-to-do background. And then he went into UCD. He had thought he wanted to study law for a brief period, but then he decided uh, broadcasting was where he wanted to go.
1: Mel, Tuppy really was one of the elites within RTE. Where does he go from here? It's a, That's like
2: the million euro question, isn't it, Tabitha? I would dearly love to know myself with the crystal ball. Um, no one could have envisaged this would have even been on the cards two weeks ago until the whole scandal broke. Um, I think it's going to be really hard. It's hard to see. Now, how he's going to come back from this and go on radio again, or go on TV again, and be talking about the cost of living crisis, or grilling those in authority and in power about the latest political scandal, when there's such huge question marks over his own conduct and his own behaviour in RT over the last number of years, I think the real the real tragedy here is, I suppose, is how popular his radio show was, and. you know, is probably, you know, those listeners, they were ringing Joe Duffy. They were heartbroken. They're like, I loved him. I listened to it every day. You know, it's a gap in my, in my day now in the morning. And I think he really just needs to take time off a couple of months. Well, he will be anyway, but I would imagine his career lies elsewhere. He's always talked about doing another book. He's a huge history buff. He has talked about wanting to travel more. Um, I mean, you'd have to think it would lie across the water, but there's no way that the BBC would consider taking on someone who's currently embroiled in such a huge scandal in their native country. Um it's hard to see. I think he needs to just take a step back from the limelight and let due process take its course. And that's the issue that I've had with this from the very start since we broke the story. The fact that all these statements are doing is is raising more questions and annoying more people. So he just needs to be silent and let due process take its course. And if he's called to answer questions, I think 100% he should go because he needs to explain himself over this.
1: Kirsty and Mel, thank you. And my thanks to Kirsty Blake-Knox and Melanie Finn. I'm Tabitha Monaghan and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Avine Fallon, with sound by Non McMonagall. Clips from RTE, Virgin Media News and independent.ie. If you enjoyed the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.